Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring our regular guest, two-time World Series champion, former Giants reliever, George Contos. Gabe Kapler is not Bruce Bochy, so he's going to run things his way. And I'm sure with Farhan, they've had their discussions on what the best course of action is for the ball club. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Keynes Tire in San Rafael, the lowest prices in Marin County for over 60 years. Welcome back, George. Welcome back to the podcast. And welcome back to San Francisco uh, for your studio shows. Uh, that had to be quite a thrill uh, to be back in the city of San Francisco doing the shows on NBC in the studio instead of doing them at home. And I have to say that you did a fantastic job. Uh, the ones that I watched, uh, you know, had great chemistry uh, with Greg Papa. I watched the whole post game on, on Saturday. So I have to imagine that you're enjoying this. And what was it like to be back in San Francisco? Well, hey, Joe, good morning. And it's a lot of fun. I'm so happy to be back. This is the first time that I've really been able to spend some consistent time in the city in, in a few years since I played here, really, minus just a, a drive through uh, into Napa or a fly-through and on a connecting flight. Uh, but it's been a ton of fun. You know, last year doing the broadcasting remotely from home was a great experience, but I'm super uh, ecstatic to be back and, and, and really uh, happy to be back in San Francisco doing it in studio and just getting to spend some time in the city again and revisiting some of the places that I would frequent uh, pretty often uh, when I was a player here. You know, you, you got thrown into the fire there over the weekend because I think some of the tougher postgame shows to do are when the Giants uh, blow a lead and, you know, when the bullpen doesn't perform. And, of course, you're a bullpen member, so you understand what it's all about. Uh, you tell us a little bit about that and how, you know, the Giants uh, were trying to react uh, after losing in Miami. That was a tough one on Saturday. And, of course, now they've come back and uh, been able to get a couple of shutouts in a row from their staff. Well, you said it. I think as a former bullpen guy, I've been through these situations in the past, and uh, they've happened, I don't want to say very often, but they would happen. You know, sometimes you give up leads as a bullpen, or you personally do it yourself, and you blow one. So I, I understand those feelings, and sometimes you just have to just talk about what your mentality was when those happened. Obviously, as a fan, you're you're upset and you're emotional when these things happen. You get a little fl flustered and frustrated. Um, but, you know, these things are part of the game. They do happen. And it's good to be able to kind of explain to the fans watching the post-game shows what happens and why it happens and what the players are feeling like because, you know, ultimately they're the ones out there. And as much as the fans get really upset about it, the players who are involved in blowing the lead feel the worst. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, I mean, the mental part of it has got to be really difficult. I, mean, I like what they had uh, as far as a studio where you have uh, room to move around and kind of show people, uh, you know, pitching grips and that kind of stuff. And uh, it's interesting because when you guys are trying to analyze Tyler Rogers, that's got to be difficult for everybody. I mean, I would even think as a pitching coach, it's hard because he has a style that not many people have. And when you're trying to analyze it or figure out what's going right or wrong with him, uh, it's just so different. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The, the new studio, first of all, it, it's very beautiful. It's, it's ginormous. It's got two different complete working areas. There's there's a standing area and a sitting area behind the desk, uh, which is fantastic. TVs everywhere, bright lights. Uh, it was pretty. Uh, I was pretty wild when I walked in for the first time, not realizing that it was going to be that big. Uh, but you're absolutely absolutely right. I mean, Tyler Rogers is has got some funk to his delivery. He's definitely very unique. 
Um, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, thankfully I, I, I went to the drive line, did that stuff. I, I know I have a pretty good understanding of the pitching delivery. So after you watch Tyler a few times, you can start picking up as to how he throws and what's different about him and, and what makes him unique, obviously. Um, so, you know, it, it's really nice to be able to stand up and give those demonstrations because if I was sitting behind the desk just trying to tell an audience that, I think it would go right over their head. So the visual of being able to stand up and show some things is really helpful. Giants fans got to see the debut of Camilo Doval, and, I mean, this guy looks like he has – amazing potential he's throwing fastballs in the upper 90s he looks like he really is comfortable throwing his slider he likes to throw it a lot he was throwing it against the Phillies on Monday uh, quite a bit and his his delivery kind of reminds me of Joaquin Andujar for those uh, old timers who remember uh, you know when he was pitching for the Cardinals of course he had that uh, that blow up in the 1985 World Series but you know he has kind of that big delivery what do you think of him so far I think that the the young man has come in and done unbelievably well. I mean, when you when you come in your first two major league appearances and get holds in tight situations, just being able to manage those emotions. And uh, we've heard from his scouting report that at times he can be a little bit errant and erratic, uh, which I'm sure at some point we'll see. Nobody comes up and just has perfect games all the time. Um, but he's done in those in those situations in those high leverage situations, seven inning, seventh inning, one run game his debut. Eighth inning, two run, uh, two run game yesterday. Um, I'm I'm really impressed at how he's come in and managed that. And I think what he's had going for him is a little bit of an effectively wild fastball, which has been to his advantage because it allows him to throw those sliders and get some really ugly swings on it. And you know, yesterday didn't quite go as smoothly as the first one did, but he got to see how good that big league defense is with Brandon Crawford right there. Uh, right firsthand standing from the mound, something that I've seen for years. So uh, it, it's been impressive how he's come in and done his job and managed those emotions. And I think he's uh, opening some eyes of the staff because in the post-game interview, Cap said that uh, he was in the mix for a potential save if the uh, bullpen uh, usage had gone in a, in a little bit different direction. So those are some big kudos for the young man. Yeah, I, I, mean, I was really impressed with here's a guy who throws upper 90s, yet he doesn't fall in love with just throwing the fastball. I mean, I don't know if that was an emphasis during spring training. Well, hey, let's let's try to throw this slider a lot because he looks like he's real comfortable with it, as I was saying. Yeah, his slider is very, very good. He throws it with the same intent and arm speed as his fastball. So out of the hand, it looks just like a fastball, which is why he's getting some of those swings that the hitters look a little bad on because they're seeing heater right out of the hand, and then all of a sudden it does that six, seven-inch break, and they're missing it by a few inches. So um, it's, it's obviously the slider's a very, very uh, release-oriented pitch. You have to have good feel for it, um, and right now he does. And, and you can tell that his slider's his best pitch with a big, big-time fastball. The rotation has really been incredible so far. I mean, the ERA right now as we speak is 2.23. Now, I know it's early, but – you're getting great starts. I mean, even when a pitcher like Kevin Gosman doesn't have his best stuff, I mean, he was battling his command on Monday. He still was able to get through six innings scoreless, and he really has it going with that split change pitch. Uh, I, I think he loves throwing it, and hitters are having a tough time because that thing is dropping down at the last minute. I think in his post-game interview, he said that he loves to throw it, and, and before, uh, I, I want to say the stat was two for 74, something like that off his splitter. He had wow. he's only given up one hit off of his splitter uh, before yesterday. Um, and you know, he's, he's, this is why they paid him. This is why they brought him back. He's a guy who can, who is a veteran guy who can go lead a pitching staff. 
Uh, when Johnny's healthy, obviously, you have two guys who can go out there and be stoppers. Johnny's obviously on the DL right now, but Gossman showed me showed me a ton last night. He he cruised through his first three innings, then he ran into some trouble in traffic in his fourth, fifth, and sixth innings, and he dug deep and got out of it and gave the team a chance to win. And that's exactly what Giants pitching over my, you know, now since 2012, my tenure, almost 10 years, what I've seen from Giants pitch, from Giants uh, teams is good starting pitching, timely uh, hitting, and good defense. And that's how they're winning games right now, and that's just the Giant method that I'm used to seeing. You know, and Gosman, he just seems rejuvenated. I watched him earlier in his career in Baltimore, and I mean, there was a lot of losing going on with the Orioles. They had some bad teams. That had to be difficult because he's always had great stuff, but now he just seems like he knows how to be a part of a, a winning team. He must really be enjoying it. Well, a lot of times just a change, a change of scenery can really turn a guy's whole career or, or um, you know, mentality or, or their approach around. You know, when you go to Baltimore, they haven't done all that well uh, in recent memory, and then you, you, you uproot him. And I think he had a, a stint with the, with the uh, Braves, I believe, and now he's in a, in a, in a um, city and with a team that I, I'm sure he loves, which is why he came back on that qualifying offer deal. Um, and he wants to be here, and he's rejuvenated, and obviously he has great stuff, which we've seen. But he's in a place where he can just kind of let the reins go and, and, and take off, and it's really starting to show. How about Alex Wood? I mean, here's a guy who doesn't throw that hard. I mean, he's more of your, I guess, typical left-hander. What were your impressions of him? I mean, he, you know, he's coming off the injured list where he had a procedure, and for him to go out and pitch the way he did the first time out there, I mean, that had to be huge good news for the Giants. It absolutely was. I mean, I mean, when you look at Alex Wood's past, the guy's a veteran. He's a competitor. Uh, there was nothing uh, in my head that was going to tell me that if he wasn't healthy, he wasn't going to go out and pitch the way he did. Um, and, and he did a great job. You know, I would have loved to see him, and I understand why he didn't, but I would have loved to see him maybe get another up because uh, he had thrown four ups, uh, four innings in his the alternate site start that he made, and then he threw five innings and 61 pitches in his debut uh, for the season in Miami. Uh, but he did a great job, and he's a guy who's got World Series experience, pitched some crucial innings in the World Series last year for the Dodgers, and I expect him to knock on wood, stay healthy, and continue building off that good start momentum that he had in Miami. By the way, all of these pitchers seem to be really good at fielding their position. It's almost like the Giants have a bunch of Greg Maddoxes out there. And I wanted to talk to you about the importance of that. I mean, it, it really kind of started on opening day. There was a great play by Gosman kind of sliding and popping up to throw out the runner. Uh, that was one that I noticed on, on the third base side. And Di Sclafani made a nice play over there at the third base side. Even Cueto jumped off the mound, made a nice play. I mean, all these guys seem to really have made that an emphasis to field their position well. Well, I like to say that the pitchers are the best athletes on the field, and I'm sure a lot of other pitchers will agree with me when I say that. Uh, but, you know, in, in spring training, we have a lot of PFPs, pitcher fielding practice, and we do them every day. And they give you every possible scenario, bunt down the third base, bunt down the first base, ball hit in the four hole where the first baseman and second baseman go, go try to field it, and you have to cover first base. Uh, comebackers right at you, suicide squeeze bunts. So there's a lot of repetitions that go into that. Obviously, when you're in the moment in the game, motions are running high, the ball smoked back at you or whatever, you have to make a play. These guys are all athletes. They work on it, and it's great to see them fielding their positions well because throughout the course of a, of a game and nine innings, the pitcher can be responsible for three outs, and that's not abnormal. And that's taking an inning off of the outs your defense has, has to get. So fielding your position as a pitcher is unbelievably important. 
Yeah, it's funny you say, uh, you know, the athletic part of it, because I remember Mark DeRosa, former Giant, former Cub, telling me one time that sometimes you go to a, you know, a different position or you have to make a play you haven't made before, just be an athlete. That's what he said. Just be an athlete. There might be a play on the third base side as a pitcher where you got to slide and pop up, whatever it is, be an athlete. Exactly. Being an athlete is the most important. That's the way I trained when I was uh, playing to for spring training or for the season the following year. I would train to be athletic with some – um, with some focus on pitcher-specific stuff. Obviously, arm uh, flexibility and arm health and shoulder health and scap health, stuff like that. But I would train to be strong, explosive, mobile, agile. And I thought that helped me stay healthy and be able to do the things that I did throughout my career. We'll have more with former Giants reliever George Contos right after this. When it's time for new tires, you want the lowest prices and the best service, don't you? Well, Kane's Tire in San Rafael has you covered on both. Kane's has the lowest prices in Marin County, and they provide the warm and welcoming service that you can only receive from a family-run business. Voted best of Marin for 35 years in a row, Kane's prices beat Costco's prices every time. Kane's Tire, 1531 4th Street in San Rafael. Give him a call at 415 453 2942. That's 415-453-2942 for Kane's Tire. All right, the hitting side. You have to, at some point, score some runs. I mean, the Giants have been fortunate to get great pitching, so they've won the last couple of games with only three total runs. They're hitting only 205 as a team. Really, they only have three hitters that have been hot, Longo, Solano, and Listella. That's about it right now. What's it going to take to get some of these other guys going? I mean, you see Belt hit a home run. We know that what could, that may do for him because sometimes he can really go on a run after that. Yeah, I think coming into yesterday's game, the last uh, you know five or six games, Belt's hitting over 300. So I would definitely include Belt in those guys that are hot. And as we've seen in the past, Belt can get hot for three weeks to a month at a time. And he's capable of carrying a team by himself. He he gets that hot, and uh, as as Hobby likes to call him, Sparky likes to swing the big stick really well when he's <laughs> when he's on uh, on on one of those tears. But you know, to your point, I think you know we need to get Brandon Crawford going a little bit. He's he's put up some good at bats. I think all he needs is is a couple of those hits to start falling, um, and he's the guy who can really help the lineup as well. Kirk Casale uh, would be nice to get a little bit of offense out him on uh, out of him on top of the uh, unbelievable job he's been doing behind the plate. Uh, but you know how it goes. You know, Giants, Giants hitters get streaky. They all start at once, and um, I'd love to see Yaz pick it up a little bit. And once these guys start rolling on the same kind of cycle of, of getting hit together, they can be a team that scores five, six, seven, eight runs a game. And if the pitching can continue this way, which obviously expecting the rotation to have a 2.25 ERA the entire season would be a little bit of a stretch. There's going to be some times where, you know, they have a rough start or a rough time through the lineup. That's when the offense hopefully will be there to pick them up. You know, analysts always say, oh, that, that guy's seeing the ball great. It seems like that's the case right now with Evan Longoria. I mean, the entire season, I mean, even spring training. I mean, it just seemed like he, right from the get-go, he's been seeing it well. So on the other side of it, since you were a pitcher, is that where you really go, okay, I cannot make a mistake against this guy. He's seeing everything I'm throwing. Um, I think you're really cognizant when a guy's hot, and especially cognizant if he's hot off of you. Um, I can't believe I'm going to say this on air, but I was I gave up uh, to Hanley Ramirez. He was six for six off of me in his career. I believe he had four singles and two doubles off of me, and it started to creep into your head that every time he stepped in the box that you've never gotten the guy out. 
Um, and that mentality, you know, was wrong. It was a wrong mentality. I should have been like, all right, I'm going to execute my pitches. doesn't matter who's in the box. Um, I think that when you have a guy who's hot or who's coming into a game hot, unless he's done some damage against you, it doesn't really bother you that much. You know, hot, hot bats happen all the time. But like Kevin Gausson said in his post-game interview last night, you have to go and pitch to your strengths. doesn't matter if the guy's hitting sliders very well in his last 10 games. I throw sliders. I'm still going to throw sliders, even though he can hit them. I just have to make sure that they're executed well, and I don't leave them in a zone where he can get good wood on them. Um, so I think that's my take on, on hot hitters. You just have to go out there, make sure you execute and pitch to your strengths. And you know what? When guys are hitting really well and seeing the ball well, they're going to foul off some of those really good pitches that you throw and stay alive, and they're really only going to drill the ones that you make mistakes on. There were probably guys, though, that were 0 for 6 with six strikeouts against you, so it's the opposite where it's in their head, right? Absolutely. I, I think one of the guys, over, it might not have been in, in, in his head, but one of the guys throughout my career that I, that I think I had really good numbers against was Matt Kemp. Um, so, you know, I had, I had Hanley Ramirez on one hand, who was a great hitter, and, then, and he was batting 1,000 off me. And then I had, on the other hand, Matt Kemp, who was also a great hitter that I just, you know, got the better of throughout my career. And it's funny. The game works in funny ways, but, you know, I was very aware that I pitched well against Matt Kemp. So when he stepped in the box, I was like, all right, I got this. I know what I'm going to throw you. I know where it's going to be. And I know you're not going to do much damage off it if I execute. All right, that leads me into, I'm curious what you think of some of the pitch hitting moves that are made by the Giants with Gabe Kapler as a manager because he, you know, he really likes to have the whole team ready to go to get at bats. He's going to do a lot of pinch hitting. He's going to use pretty much his whole roster. Now, you know, I know there are matchups that you got to look at, but for me, when a guy like Listella is three for three in a game and he's hot in that game, I'm not taking him out for a pinch hitter. Gabe Kapler did that. What do you think of that? I mean, what's your philosophy as far as the pinch hitting moves that are being made? Well, I, I you know, I, I'm, I think analytics are important. I don't think they should be sold decision makers in a game. I think to your point, if a guy's three for three, he's swinging a hot bat. I'm not going to pinch hit him. Uh, I think what the giants and cap have, have um, made it apparent that they're going to do is they're going to play the matchup game. So when the bullpen starts coming in, that's what you're going to start seeing those turnovers in the lineups. And, you know, it's not the way that I would do it, but it's the way that's making them have success right now. And um, I think that uh, some of the guys are going to get less off days. I think it might take a little longer for some guys to hit their groove if they're not getting consistent at bats every day because of the matchups. But right now it seems to be working. You know, the Giants are uh, in second place in the NL West. They've just uh, won two great games. If the offense does spark up a little bit and the matchup game is still what they're doing, you know, it's hard to criticize it, but it's definitely not the way that I would do it if I was uh, sitting in the driver's seat. Yeah, no, I mean, they're off to a good start, so it's hard to complain about that. Uh, one thing that I do want to complain about, I mean, I know it's going to kind of be a, a frequent thing with Major League Baseball with some of the rules that are going on. Uh, I, I honestly, I don't know that – I really like replay anymore. Uh, you know, I, I know that some of these calls, you'd like to see the, the call done right. But there was a call that I really haven't seen much of this one uh, where Casale slid into home plate against the Reds. And his spikes went, you know, just over home plate, kind of hovering over home plate. And he didn't actually touch the plate. So, yeah, okay, you could say on the replay, the reverse, that he's out, that, yeah, that's a good call. But I don't like that call, George. I, I don't know. You've, you're taught your whole life to slide into home plate 
and you know you're not always going to have exact touching of the plate there, and you're under the tag. To me, you're safe. I, I don't know. What do you think? You know, I think they've made the point now to try and get these calls right, and and I I am emphasizing the word try and get <laughs> right. these calls right because um, if you're going to implement a replay system, you better make sure that with this replay system, you start getting these calls exactly right. And you know, they are starting. They they are missing some of these calls. They they need. Um, undeniable evidence in order to overturn a call. And, you know, I mean, there was one, uh, there was a call the other day just at home plate. Um, I can't remember the game that it was, but there was one where the, the, the guy was splitting the home plate. I think it was the, might've been the Braves or, or uh, somebody, um, I'm not sure what team it was, but he was blatantly out, did not touch home plate, and the umpire called him safe. They went to replay, and they still left him safe with <laughs> no at no angle that showed his foot touching home plate. So if you're going to implement this, this whole system and change the game and still not get it right, then I'm kind of sitting here like, well, what's the point of doing this? Right. And I think the umpires now are starting to, you know, they, they're learning. They're seeing what's going on. They're learning. So they're, they're making their calls. And I think there was an altercation with an umpire where he even said, it'll go to replay and not get overturned. Like, you can't say that stuff because you're showing your hand and you're showing the inefficiency or the, you know, kind of politics of the uh, the replay system because the umpires are going to have the other umpires as back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I think my biggest problem, too, is that the game is played in real speed. And when you start slowing it down, like on the Casale slide that I was talking about, yeah, sure. I mean, he didn't exactly touch home plate, but in real speed, he was safe. He, he was under the tag. He went right across home plate. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, you're making guys uh, try to touch a, a base exactly perfectly right. And when it's in super slow-mo, you might see that somebody missed something. But in real speed, you would never see that. Yeah, you also saw that play with Jazz Chisholm the other day in Miami where he slid in the second base, and on his transfer, he came off, and he was out. You know, yeah. same same type of thing there. He completely beat the play. Uh, I want to say it was Lestella just kept the tag on him, and he was out. And normally, you would never see that unless you have replay. So I think uh, it, it's, it's forcing guys, I think, to be a little bit more um, deliberate about staying on bags or making sure they touch bags. But, yeah, to your point, it's uh, when you're moving full speed, sliding into a base. That's probably the the last thing you're worried about is is uh, the nuance of of actually making sure you you get all five fingers or whatever on on the bag or, or not coming off. So it's it's a uh, it's a little different for sure. Yeah, and I think there's a big difference between completely missing the base and just you know, like you said, you're just sliding across, you're lifting up a little bit or whatever it is. Right. Uh, you know, you guys touched on the post game show about the extra inning rule. And, uh, you know, a lot of people like myself and you, we don't like it uh, because you're putting a runner at second base. And the reason I don't like it, George, is because I feel like you didn't earn it. You did not earn getting that runner at second base. Why is he there? You had mentioned that you didn't think it made sense. Why don't you think that rule makes sense? I, I think it is, it, you know, just to me. And, again, I've, I've been playing baseball since 2006, professional baseball, minor leagues, and to the big leagues. And I don't. I don't understand how you can win a major league baseball game without having a ball leave the infield. You know, I, I understand <laughs> right. that uh, they're worried about time. They're worried about bullpen arms and, and pitcher usage and stuff. But, you know, when you can win a baseball game with not giving up a hit or not having a ball leave the infield, it doesn't make sense to your point. It, it's not earned. You know, you're putting a guy out there and, 
I look at it and I'm like, gosh, this is Major League Baseball that we're doing this. This is how many games do you have that go 16, 17 innings? Not that many. I get, I get that uh, you want to help and control the, the pitcher's usage and, and you don't want to, you know, bury a guy and have him go three, four innings and in extras. But it, this is part of the game. This is part of what makes the game so great and exciting. I remember we played a couple 15 inning games against the Mets that were just dog fights back in 2000, I think 14 or 15 it was. We had some extra inning games that were just dog fights back and forth, one run game, and we won one and we lost one. But they were really entertaining, exciting games. And now it's like, all right, well, this will be over by the 10th or the 11th. You know, whoever, whoever uh, goes back to the old school way of baseball and maybe bunts a guy over to third base and instead of waiting for a two-run homer or something like that. So I, I'm not a huge fan of the guy on second rule. Uh, there are some things that have, that have been implemented that I can get on board with, but the second base and extra innings uh, thing is not one of them. Yeah, me too. All right, so the Giants are going to be coming home on Thursday to face the Marlins again, and it made me think about, you know, the jerseys now have names on the back of them. And uh, it's kind of interesting because you, you, when you were playing for the Giants, you didn't have that, but people would know, hey, number 70 is coming in, George Contos. I was curious, first of all, how you got – number 70, because that's a unique number to get for a baseball player. And uh, also, what do you think about having the names on the back of the jerseys? Uh, well, funny, funny. I, so I came up with the Yankees, as you know. I, I made my um, Major League debut in 2011. And when I got to the um, stadium for my first ever Major League uh, day in, in the big leagues, number 70 was just hanging in my locker. <laughs> and the Yankees obviously have retired half of their numbers uh, that are that are in single and in, in the early double digits. They're yeah. not they're not a, allowed to be given out because of all the Hall of Famers and the unbelievable tradition of players that have played in a New York Yankee uniform. Um, but number seventy was just hanging in my locker, and I was like, okay. I asked my my uh, my mom, like, and my dad, what do you guys think? And my mom, it's it, to my mom's credit, she goes. Her birthday is November seventh, so she's uh, she loves the number seven. And seventy is is a big round number. It looks good on the back of a jersey. Had it been seventy one or seventy two, I wouldn't have liked it as much. But it was a it was a nice round number. My mom goes, it looks nice on your back, so I just kept it. And then I got traded to the Giants the following uh, end of spring training. And when I made my major league debut for the Giants, or my season debut for the Giants in two thousand twelve. I, I was in the locker room and, and Mike Murphy goes, what number do you want? And I go, number 70, if that's available. And he goes, are you, he goes, are you, are you sure? And I go, yeah, is that all right? He goes, yeah, it's just a high number. I was like, yeah, I like it. Number 70 is good. Uh, so I kept 70 my entire career and uh, I'm, I'm glad I did. It was a good decision. Uh, I, I love being associated with that number and, you know, it made my mom happy. So it was a win-win. <laughs> yeah. Well, Barry Zito was 75. That always stood out. Uh, you know, when you think about hockey, Wayne Gretzky wearing number 99, that always stood out. I remember I interviewed Manny Ramirez one time, and he had 99 with the Dodgers. And I'm like, why 99? Are you a Gretzky fan or something? He had no idea who Gretzky was. And he's like, no, 99 <laughs> is cool, man. I mean, you know, who else has 99? I go, yeah, I guess you're right. Exactly. Nobody else. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. The number and the, and the number is something that you that you get associated with. And you start associating with yourself with it's it's it becomes part of you and and if uh if you're a guy who cares about numbers i know that some people don't they're just like oh i'm happy to be here i don't care what's on my back but i was always a guy that cared i loved uh, i loved being represented as number 70 and um to go back to your uh your question about the the names on the back of the jerseys 
I had been fortunate to play for two teams that did not allow names on the back of their jerseys, <laughs> the, the Yankees at all and the Giants at home. Um, and, and I really appreciated that. I really appreciated being known by the number. And I think I'm biased, obviously, because I played when the home creams did not have them. And I loved that look. I thought it was very sharp. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of the names on the back of the jerseys. I think that uh, it gets a little busy. And the, the home creams are, are, in my opinion, the best home jerseys in all of baseball. And um, I would have loved to have seen them stay with, uh, with just numbers. But, you know, the team's having some turnover. There are new guys. And, you know, next year I, I hope they're, they're, uh, they bring back some of my good friends and former teammates, but the team could look a lot different next year. And people are going to need to know who's on there, who's on the field and not going to know the numbers. So I guess I understand it, but I'm not a huge fan of it. Yeah. I guess without the names, it's kind of, it proves that your fan base really knows what's going on as far as uh, players and names and everything like that. You know, I did look at number 70, as far as like the, you know, the most famous players, uh, professional players to wear Jim Marshall. He was part of the Purple People Eaters for the Minnesota Vikings, which you may not want to hear that because I know you're a Bears fan. But he was a 70. That 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 was, you know, I thought, oh, that's kind of the guy you could sort of relate to, I guess, right? Even though he, he ran the wrong way one time. That was against the Niners. He ran the wrong way into the end zone and ended up being a safety. <laughs> well, I think, I think I can say this with extreme confidence that I think I'm the only number 70 in Major League Baseball history that has two rings. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna question that at all. A couple of things before we go. One is Pablo Sandoval is playing great with the Braves as a pinch hitter. That's pretty good. And you got Sergio Romo unshaven with the A's. You can't even recognize the guy. Well, you know, it's nice to see Pablo uh, finding his own and, and hitting his stride again with Atlanta. He seems to have found a place that he enjoys being. He's comfortable. And we've all known that Pablo can hit. You know, Pablo, we joked around for, for years and years as being the best bad ball hitter that I've ever seen. And now we, and, and the, the way that you used to be able to get him out was throw one right down the middle. And that was the big joke. And he'd foul it off or, <laughs> or maybe he wouldn't get a, a, a hit that did damage. But now he's hitting everything and he's hitting everything hard. So it's nice to see Pablo uh, off to a good start there and, and in a place where he seems to be enjoying himself. Because um, he was obviously a huge part of what we did, and and, and, a, and a very fun teammate of mine for a long time. Um, and Sergio Roma, I saw that too. I was like, "Who is this guy? What is he doing?" But you know, I think now that he's back in the Bay, maybe he wants to do a little differentiation of uh, of Giants tenure to A's tenure. And you know, obviously in, with the Giants, he had that uh, that fear of the beard with him and Weez for for so long. Um, that I think he goes to the other side of the bay now, and maybe he wants to just uh, put a little bit of separation between the two stints. That'd be like you not having a beard. I mean, that'd be very strange. But I, I'm not going back to the no beard thing. Madison Bumgarner, when I when I got uh, called up to the Giants in 2012, he's like, man, why don't you grow a beard? <laughs> and I was like, no, I was used to being clean-shaven with the Yankees, and I had to be at the time clean-shaven in the minor leagues uh, in, in AAA Fresno with the Giants in 2012. And then I got called up. And it was right around the all-star break and bums like, you need to grow a beard. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll, I'll grow a beard. And I think I grew one. And that was the last time I was ever clean shaven. It was just done. It was beard, beard from there on out. That's interesting. Nobody knew that story. That's really funny. Uh, and the very last thing here, uh, since you did mention uh, pitching for the Yankees, they're off to a really bad start. And I'm just curious what it was like because you started your career there, finished with the Yankees. Uh, you know, if, you don't, if you're not having a good season, if it's not starting out well uh, with the Yankees or even with Philadelphia where the Giants are right now, those fans are intense. 
Yes, the fans are intense. They they expect a good product and they expect winning. And not only the fans, but what I can say about the Yankee organization is they they don't have rebuild years. They don't they don't buy. I'm in my opinion is is that they don't buy into this. Uh, let's do a four or five year run and then we'll rebuild for three four years. They're trying to compete and win every year, and that's one thing in baseball that I appreciate. They try to put a team on the field and they spend the big bucks to try and win championships every year. So I think for the organization and for the fan base, the, the start that they're off to now is a little bit concerning. Again, we're, I think, off to the equivalent of one week of NFL play throughout the major league season. So it might be a little little early to, to hit the uh, ultra panic button now, but I definitely think it's concerning um, that they're off to the start they're off to. You know, behind, uh, I think, Garrett Cole and, and uh, Jordan Montgomery, um, their starting pitching has been a little bit so-so and um, you know, they, they, uh, they need to turn it around before the, the fans start storming the field. Yeah, exactly. All right, George. Hey, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Uh, again, great job in the studio. Look forward to seeing you doing that again really soon. Thanks a lot, Joe. That's former Giants relief pitcher, George Contos. Join us again next week for another edition of Inside China Basin. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.